Thank you for tuning in to the Believer's Church of Johnson City podcast. We are grateful you stopped by. Regardless of where you are in your faith journey, we hope today's teaching is both challenging and also encourages you to move closer to Jesus. You can subscribe to the podcast if you want weekly messages, leave a review of your experience, and if you wish to become a giving partner, you can do so by visiting our website at believerschurchjc.com. And of course, we want to encourage you to come see us in person. We are located at 6110 Kingsport Highway in Johnson City, Tennessee. As always, we hope you enjoy today's message. Imagine with me that you know that you have 40 days left to live. Just 40 days. It's because you've just received a diagnosis. It's because of some other thing that may be completely out of your control. But you know that you have 40 days left to live. What would you want to tell people? What is the message that you would want to send? What is it that you would want people to know about your life? What is it that you would want to make sure that you could pass on? If you want to look at it this way, if you knew that you only had 40 days left with your kids, if you knew that you only had 40 days left with your parents or with people that you're really close to, only 40 days left to give a message. Because generally what people think is, well, I would take the trip of a lifetime or I would spend every dime that I have or I would at least make sure all my finances are in order for my children or people that I'm leaving behind. But Jesus does none of that. What Jesus does is Jesus takes 40 days. This is another cool thing about this series is that we're doing it right after Easter. And these events are literally right after Easter. I didn't even plan it that way. It just happened to work out that way, which I think is a very, very beautiful thing. So there are these 40 days left that Jesus has to spend with the disciples and other people, what is the message that he wants to give them? There are literally a million things that Jesus could have talked about. There are a million things that Jesus could have shared with people that he would have considered important. But what we're going to do this morning is we're going to look at the three instructions that Jesus gives the disciples and the early followers right here at the beginning of Acts And listen, you need to write this down. You need to take pictures if you don't take notes. You need to do whatever you can to make sure, if you're a follower of Jesus, that you get this down. So on those Connect cards, there is a place for notes. If you're not turning them in today, if you have your phone and you want to go to your notes, whatever, make sure that you get this down because this is going to drive not only this entire thing, but really where we are as a church. So we're going to be in Acts chapter 1. And we are going to look at the first 14 verses today. We're not going to necessarily go verse by verse through all of this. There will be skipping over some verses, not skipping over any chapters or any important parts. But we're not necessarily going to go verse through verse, uh, verse to verse through this entire thing. But for the majority of the time, we will do that. So Acts chapter 1, verses 1 through 14. This is how the, the book opens up to give you just a little bit of background Jesus has been crucified, and Jesus has resurrected, which is what we celebrated last week. So this is what the scripture tells us, starting in verse 1. Theophilus, the first scroll I wrote concerned everything Jesus Jesus did and taught from the beginning, right up to the day when he was taken up into heaven. 
before he was taken up, working in the power of the Holy Spirit, Jesus instruct, instructed the apostles he had chosen. After he suffered, he showed them that he was alive with many convincing proofs. He appeared to see them over a period of 40 days, speaking to them about God's kingdom. While they were eating together, he ordered them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for what the Father had promised. He said, this is what you heard from me. John baptized with water, but in only a few days, you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit. As a result, those who, those who gathered asked Jesus, Lord, are you going to restore the kingdom of Israel now? Jesus replied, it isn't for you to know the times or the season that the Father has set by his own authority. Rather, you will receive the power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and to all the ends of the earth. That's one of the most common verses in the book of Acts. After Jesus said these things, they were watching, he was lit, and he, they were watching, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. While he was going away, as they were staring toward heaven, suddenly two men in white robes stood next to them. They said, Galileans, why are you standing here looking toward heaven? This Jesus was taken up from into heaven, who will come back in the same way that you saw go up into heaven. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the Mount of Olives, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath's day journey away. When they entered the city, they went upstairs to the upstairs room, which is often called the upper room, where they were staying. Peter, John, James, and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James, Alphaeus' son, Simon the Zealot, and Judas, James' son, all were united in devotion to prayer, along with some women, including Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. What I would like to challenge you to do, just so that you're coming up with this at the most healthy, coming up, uh, keeping up with this at the most healthy pace, is to read the book of Acts on your own. I can guarantee you that there's going to be some of it that's going to seem a little bit confusing. There's going to be some of it that's going to be a little bit difficult to understand, but it's going to be very beneficial for you to take just a little bit of time and go through this with it. It's going to make more sense, and you're going to have some context as we get together. So as Jesus leaves Earth, the church is born. And what are these final lessons? Think about this. The Son of God that we celebrated through the resurrection last week, what are the final instructions that he's going to give these early followers? And how do these instructions imply to, uh, apply to where we are today with our vision campaign and the direction that our church is going? The first thing that he does is this. Is this. He teaches them specific details about God's kingdom. So in these 40 days, as they're walking back and forth, as they're dining together, as he has some opportunities to talk to them one-on-one, one-on-three, in some cases one-on-75, he is teaching them about God's kingdom. He is making sure that they have a full understanding of what it means to live in this kingdom. He is teaching them that we are supposed to live in this countercultural, pioneering, alternative community that looks very different from Rome. It's important for us to understand today that we are to live in this countercultural, alternative, 
pioneering community that looks very different than the United States of America. It looks very different than what we see practiced in our society. So the uh, scripture tells us this, after his suffering, he showed them that he was alive with many convincing proofs. This is me. You can rest assured, even though it's hard to believe, this is me. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days, speaking to them about God's kingdom. So what does this mean? You need to hear this today, because this is everything. This is everything right here. And if there's something that you need to leave with, you need to make sure that you understand this today. Church leaders, make sure that you write this down and you get this. The goal wasn't growth. But you're saying, well, well of course the, the goal was growth. We've got to grow the church. That's what we're supposed to do. That's, that's the kingdom. That is the growth. That's what we're supposed to do. That's what Jesus tells us to do. The goal was not growth. The goal was kingdom living. The goal was bringing heaven to earth. The goal was loving God and loving neighbor. The goal was practicing these ethical values that we rarely ever see. Growth was the result. So the, the whole point is to show people how to live like Jesus. To show people what it means to bring heaven from up there, down here, and to live differently. The church is failing miserably at this. We are not loving our neighbors. We are not showing what this is supposed to look like. Instead, we're following every other church and trying to, how are they doing it? How can we make sure that we're doing it right? How can we get all of these people in the door? How can we focus on those things? And we are not even in the text long enough to understand the spirit empowerment in our life, and we have no chance of being the church. If you focus on growth, you will get nothing but superficial numbers. If you focus on kingdom living, you'll get real growth. Because people will come, as John Wesley said, for miles and miles and miles to watch you burn. You see how we've mixed this up? We've used capitalism and the free market, and it's crept into the church so that we don't even know how to be the church. And that's what Jesus is talking about. So, so listen to how hard these are. And I can't give you an extensive list of all of this today. Because if I did that, I'd just go back into the series on the Sermon on the Mount, and we talk about every Jesus ethic. But let me just give you a few, just, just to make your seat a little bit hot for just a few minutes. What is Jesus talking about when he's talking about kingdom living? First, you can't live with a spirit of unforgiveness. You just can't. You can't live with a spirit of unforgiveness toward people. Well, I don't like her. She hurt my feelings. Well, I'm not getting along with mom right now. Well, I'm not getting along with dad right now. And I understand boundaries. I understand healthy distance. But you can't live that way. And you certainly can't live that way toward people in the church. If there are people in this church, significant people, that are harboring resentment 
against other people in this church, and I don't have the guts to deal with you, we're done. We're done. Because people need to understand that I don't care what your political party is. I don't care what your socioeconomic status is. I don't care who you think you are in the community, how good you are, how bad you are, how holy you are, how unholy you are. The whole point that we're going to see in this book is that people in difficult circumstances are coming together over and over and over again. You cannot live with a spirit of unforgiveness. It's not possible. Number two, you'll like this one least, especially because evangelicals miss this every day. You can't live with a closed hand toward the poor. You just can't. And evangelicals, and a lot of, they never even talk about this. Now, the Torah does. It's everywhere. The prophets confront it. It's everywhere. Jesus, about one out of every seven verses in the book of Luke. Paul, the Jerusalem collection, all over his ministry. Yet we completely ignore it. We get into Acts, you're going to experience some conviction about these things. And I apologize if that's incredibly small. I've got a lot here. Number three, you can't lead and don't you dare try until you understand the heart of a servant. Until you're willing to wash other people's feet, until you're willing to be broke. If you ever come in the room like you think you know it all because of your level of church, of, church experience, or because of how much you make, or how much you do, or everything that you're contributing, we're done. We're done. Until you realize to, to, to kneel at the feet of your betrayer, or the team that you are leading, and wash the feet of other people, we have no hope. We're not, we're not talking about the way the mainstream works, uh, mainstream church in America works. We're talking about the way the New Testament church works. We're talking about kingdom living. We're talking about what really brings people in and makes things sticky so that they stay. Number four, you can't clinch, clinch tightly to your possessions. You can't. You can't clinch tightly to, you know what? I own nothing but what God gives me. And as disappointing as it would be for us to have to downsize and sell our house, as disappointing as it would be for us to have to get rid of everything that we own, I'm telling you, and my wife knows that I'm telling the truth. You got, because you guys may doubt it. I would do it in a heartbeat. I own nothing. I have nothing but the grace of God. So on your shopping sprees and on your desire to keep up with the Jones family or whoever it may be, planning your retirement, there is no retirement in the kingdom of God, just so that you know. You have no control over anything. And God continues to teach me that more and more and more every single day. This is fun. Now you're going to hate this one. You can't hold family or country equal or above God. You can't. And that is, that is a major thing in this country. The thing that I often see, mainly on social media, 
Well, I kneel for the cross and stand for the flag. They don't even belong in the same sentence. But we're following Jesus. We've got the right lifestyle. We fit right into this American system. You can't have a partial commitment to the mission of God. You can't be a Sunday morning attender while doing something else different the rest of the week. And then also, you can't identify yourself apart from the body of Christ. Because this is what a lot of your, your really inte- intelligent, spiritual, 20-something millennial, new age crowd does. I love Jesus, but I'm not about the church. I don't have anything for organized religion. I don't have anything for those people. Those are your brothers and sisters. Shame on you. Shame on you for looking at them and talking about them that way. Do we mess up? Do we make mistakes? A lot of what we're talking about, and the reason that you don't like a lot of them, is because of these issues right here. Okay, page two. I'm just kidding. That's it. All right. That's all we're going to talk about today now that, I've, now that I'm going to get some emails. All right? Now, this is a tough list, but we don't have permission to ignore it. This is it. If you've chosen this life, if you went all in, it's all in or nothing. Otherwise, we're playing church. You have any idea how many churches just play church? Let's make sure we get everything in order. Let's make sure we've got everything right for Sunday. Let's make sure all of our ducks in a row. They've included everything but Jesus. And this is where the majority of our churches are. Kingdom living. God help us. We're sinners. We screw up. I have had the most difficult 48 hours of parenting that I've had. My son's face, I did not do that to him. If you saw the pictures on social media. But I have had the hardest time with my two small kids in the last two days. I've told Beth, I just, I'm just imperfect. But this is the goal. This is what we strive for. Every single day of our lives. Otherwise, we're nowhere close. What's another instruction? This, this, this is just as hard. He's teaching them to wait on God. He's teaching them to wait on God. Don't go do it yourself. Don't rush ahead of me. No, no, this is not a trial run, guys. I've only got 40 days left. You've got to get this. You've got to understand this. This is important. You've got to wait on me because they want to go ahead. They're excited. They're enthusiastic. Imagine if you've been following someone around for three and a half years. You believe for a couple of days that he was dead, and all of a sudden he's back to teach you for 40 more days. They're excited, but he says, listen, slow down. It's all going to come to you. It's all going to be there. The work's going to be done. It's all going to be the way that it's supposed to be. But you've got to wait on me. Because through this patience, and through this boredom that you're going to receive, and through this, I've got to work, I've got to work, I've got to do, I'm going to teach you 
what it means to be a follower of Jesus. This is what he said to him, verses 4 and then going to 6 and 7. While they were eating together, he ordered them not to leave to Jerusalem, but to what? But to wait for what the Father had promised. I'm not interested, listen, for those of you that are hard works, I'm not interested in what you can do. I'm interested in what God can do through you. I don't care about your talents. I care about your gifts. And that comes through through the difficult process of waiting. I feel like I need to get food poisoned more often. We wait for what he promised. He said, this is what you heard from me. As a result, those who had gathered together asked Jesus, Lord, are you going to restore the kingdom of Israel now? We need it now. We live in a culture of now, now, now. Jesus replied, and this is not easy to hear, it isn't for you to know the times or the seasons the Father has set by his own authorities. You see, the early followers demonstrated impatience, and Jesus is very clear. You have to wait. You have to wait. Often if you're moving ahead, and I can tell you this from personal experience, I'm way back here or I'm way ahead of you. You're not moving at a healthy pace. This is not about your timing. God needs to know that you are ready and equipped for a task. This is not about your work or how well you may do this work. The Spirit is working through you. And that's what's going to bring life change to other people. This is not about your ego. The Father has set these things by His authority. So doing is important. Doing has a place. The work that the church does together as we're mobilized together, it has a place. But more important is the expectant heart that knows and understands how to wait on God. Some of you are, are going through some very, very difficult things in your life. And, and to wait on God feels like it's an impossible thing. Some of you, you're, you're waiting to hear about a job. You're waiting for test results because you're scared to death. You're waiting to hear about a, how a certain situation in court is going to work out. You're waiting to hear if, if your son made this or your daughter made that or how all these things could work out. But what you're not seeing is that through the process of waiting, God is working through a process in your life. And that process is always going to trump what you can do on your own. So you got to wait. You've got to understand these kingdom values. You've got to live this out. This is how people are going to see that I'm here. But then also, and most importantly, he's instructing them, and this is the book of Acts. And if you're not a Holy Spirit person, or if you feel like I do sometimes, that the Spirit is neglected in the Trinity because we talk about the Father and the Son so much, you're going to love the next few weeks because Acts is all about the Holy Spirit. And Acts is all about getting up deep inside of you and messing you up and tearing it all apart 
for something clean and for something new that transforms and changes you. You, you, Some people are literally not even recognizable whenever the Holy Spirit takes hold. And you know, it's possible at this point, especially considering the diverse denominational background uh, that we have from some of the people that are in here, that there could be some conflict among believers regarding what the power of the Holy Spirit actually means. So this is what the passage says. This is verse 5, and then verse 8, it says this. This is what Jesus says. John baptized with water, but in only a few days, you're going to be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Rather, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. This is what I believe about our church. We need something to take over this church that we can't contain. We can contain the music. We can contain how long we're in this room. We can contain the strategies of our teams. But we cannot contain the work that the Holy Spirit does. And the majority of us that are in here right now have not experienced what I'm talking about. So listen to this right here, because this is where the, 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 the diversity of thought is. Pentecostals, uh, my brothers and sisters that are Pentecostals, also often think of the baptism of the Holy Spirit as a separate experience, usually after conversion, that involves the speaking in tongues. And that's often how you hear this passage tra- uh, translated. Other Protestants will argue that the baptism of the Spirit happens at conversion. So whenever you go through the experience of becoming a Christian, the baptism of the Holy Spirit happens at that time. There are another group of believers that believe you get saved, you're converted, but you have some moment, sort of like my moment in the hotel with alcohol, I often refer to that, Catholics often call that the second conversion. I sometimes refer to that as a second conversion. It's like uh, Mark McGill said it one way, God saved me, but then God saved me real good. I think it was the way that he said it, and maybe you've, God saved me good, but then God saved me real good. It was kind of an experience like that that I had in my early 30s that just completely tore everything apart that I understood as the life of Matt Smith. That didn't happen at 16, but it did happen at 31, 32. So we have those kinds of experiences right there. Now, I believe that there is probably some uh, combination of all three of these things, uh, all three of these viewpoints that are true. I will preface uh, some of the obvious controversy with, with tongues that we'll talk about a little bit more as we get into this, this series. Some of you are like, I'm coming back for that. But as we, as we get a little bit further into this series, we'll talk about it. But I think there is probably some combination of these three things that are going on right here. Uh, but, but I will say it this way, because I think this is a great uh, quote by Adriel Sanchez. I think this is a great way to look at it. Pentecost, which we're going to look at in chapter 2, uh, this is what he says. Pentecost, which really means 50, it's, it's the 50th day. And the baptism of the Holy Spirit are about the ushering in of a new creation, the expansion of a new temple, the giving of a new law, and the commissioning of new prophets. Prophets named Philip. Prophets named Andrew. Prophets named, early on, Peter. 
and John the Beloved. Eventually, a prophet named Saul, who is going to become a man named Paul. Eventually, as you go further down the road to other people who are going to build and build and build upon this moment. So whenever you receive the Holy Spirit, everything becomes new. And as we look at Believer's Church, this church that we've come to love so much, some of you for so, so many years, what we are praying for today is an ushering in of the new. We are praying for a completely new experience. We are praying for new eyes. We are praying for healing. We are praying that people will come forward and believe and believe and have the faith that they can be healed that they can be changed, that they can be moved into this completely new place because I don't care where your marriage is, where your mental state is, where your insecurity is, where your doubt is, where your atheism is, where your addiction is, God can heal, God will, and that is what the book of Acts is about. After Pentecost, as we get into Acts 3, and there's a beggar standing, uh, sitting beside the temple, and he's begging for money, and they give him the Holy Spirit, that power is real. And I expect nothing less. I don't know who's going to come along with me. But I expect nothing less than God to open up things in this place like we have never seen before. And someone comes in one day and they say, I don't believe in God. I'm just not sure I believe in that. And they get in their car and they grip the wheel and they say there could have been no other explanation but God. I'm going there. And I want to see who's coming with me. In a nutshell, this, this Christianity, or what it's often called at the times, uh, the way, is born as a grassroots, counter-cultural movement of hope in a very, very hostile environment. It never should have survived. It never should have survived. But God. And it survived. So where are we as we go forward? And what is the heart of this? What is the heart of this message? And why is Jesus pushing this into these individuals so early on? Guys, you got to get this. Well, I know it's important that we go to Samaria. I know it's important that eventually we develop here. I know it's important that we tweak this. I know it's important that we tweak that. But here are the things that you have to know if you're going to create a movement. Here are the things that you have to know if you're going to have this good soil, if you're going to have this good ground that we've talked about. Listen, you can miss a lot of things, but you can't miss these three. You have to have these three things. This is what Jesus says at the end of Matthew. It's often referred to as the Great Commission. Jesus came near and spoke to them. This is before Jesus ascends. I've received all authority and on heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make hip churches. No. Therefore, go and see what everybody else is doing. Therefore, make the best church programs you can possibly imagine. No, go and make disciples of all nations. Scatter to the ends of the earth. 
with the greatest story that's ever been told and teach it to more people. If you are not prioritizing these relationships and developing more and more followers of Jesus, you're doing it backwards. Make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. Look, I myself will be with you. You know what he means by that? And you know what he eventually sends? Point three, the empowering of the Holy Spirit. You'll have that advocate with you at all times. You're never alone as you go through these difficult... I mean, I mean your life's going to be completely turned upside down. Let me tell you that as well. I myself will be with you every day until the end of this present age. So where does this fit in with 2022 and our vision series and where we started at the beginning of the year? I know some of you weren't with us yet, but this is where we were. This is Mark chapter 4, verse 8. Other seed, we had talked about three other forms of soil. Other seed fell into good soil, or what we called good ground, and bore fruit. Upon growing and increasing, the seed produced and a seed that produces knows and understands the three things that we talked about today. In one case, a yield of 30 to 1. In another case, a yield of 60 to 1. And in another case, a yield of 100 to 1. Now, 40 days. I feel exhausted after a three-day conference. After a three-day conference, I'm trying to program everything that, that I've heard and it takes me like a week to really be able to sit down and get, get all the pieces. Can you imagine 40 days with Jesus? Can you imagine your brain just like, you know, absolutely exploding? So what do they do? I'll bet they go immediately and plant a church. Nope. I'll bet they go follow the closest websites, follow some of their favorite, you know, we'll say celebrity pastors. I'll bet that's what they go do. Nope. What have we been talking about the last, last six weeks prior to Easter? What did they do? They prayed. They prayed! Verses 13 and 14. They're taking all this in. Jesus is gone. They returned to Jerusalem from the Mount of Olives, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day journey away. And I'm thinking, I can see their minds right now. I don't know where to start. You know, I can see that. Like, that's a real thing. When they entered the city, they went upstairs. To the upper room where they were staying. Who went? Two or three of them? Peter. John. James, Andrew, Philip, Thomas, Bartholomew, Matthew, James, Alphaeus' son, Simon, the zealot, meaning he was a very, very strong, allegiant Jew, and Judas, James' son. They were all united in their devotion to prayer, along with some women that were also disciples, including Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. They prayed. So in a minute, I'm going to invite you guys up to pray. Those of you that are willing. 
And what we're going to pray about, if you'll pull up that next slide, guys, I would appreciate it. This is what Jesus told them to focus on. For God to move them closer to a kingdom lifestyle. You see, it doesn't really matter if you get all the bells and whistles right, if you're chewing out other people, if you're driving like a maniac, if you're saying one thing in church and something separate outside of church, doesn't matter how good I pastor or preach or try to preach if I really don't know the bare bones of what it means, uh, you know, to follow Jesus. Not the commercial Jesus, not the American Jesus. The authentic Son of God. A kingdom lifestyle. I know that needs to be a focus for some of us this morning, but for others of you, you got a lot of, you got to learn to wait on God. You got to you got to stop making decisions in your life before you have some confirmation about what God is telling you you need to do. That's that's when the where the growth comes in. But then also again as I said earlier, probably the most important would be the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. So when we pray this morning, these are the things that we're actually going to focus on. We are also going to take communion this morning, which we do here once a month on Sunday mornings. And I'll explain how this is going to work. So the Lord's Supper, which many of you understand, is a way for us to experience the grace of God together as a body and also remember the great sacrifice that's been made for our sins. This is a practice for Christians, and we do this because we're following the example of Jesus at Passover. Father, I humbly come before you on this day as your servant. Father, proclaiming your truths, knowing that you are faithful. Father, knowing that you are still the greatest voice that speaks into the human heart. And Father, whatever binds us this morning, Father, whatever holds us back, whatever brings about struggle in our lives, Father, whatever is contaminating our witness, Father, if it's the way that we talk to other people, Father, if it's, if it's issues going on internally that are just boiling over, Father, I pray this morning in the name of the Holy Spirit for freedom in this place. God, I pray that you release every chain. I pray, Father, that every rational voice that enters into our mind that says we are not supposed to be connected with this, Father, that you completely destroy it. Father, we bind the enemy from this place and we pray for freedom in the Spirit. We pray for the empowerment of the Spirit. Father, this is, this morning, our upper room. And God, we come to you asking that you change our hearts, that you cleanse us. Father, that if there are bad relationships, that we make them right. God, this afternoon, if we need to go visit family and we need to talk, Father, if we need to metaphorically wash other people's feet, Father, just reach out. Father, help us as followers of Jesus in every situation to be the bigger person. God, help us to understand, as we talked about last week, that when we're in front of other people, God, that we bear the wounds, we bear the marks of Jesus, the risen Savior, the Savior that on this day is on the throne. 
the Savior that is still in control, the God that knows tomorrow, the God that knows the future of our families, that knows the future of our occupations, that knows the future of illnesses that we are going to learn that we have, the God that knows the future of our children. And Father, we pour our spirits out as openly and as honestly saying, God, as the disciples walk back, we don't know what to do. We have no direction for understanding this. The only book that we do have, Father, to understand is your word. And Father, even today, it's hard for us sometimes to discern and understand what it is that we are supposed to do and how it is that we're supposed to commit. But I do know, God, in this very second that you're dealing with some of us. And God, that there are things that we are supposed to lay down. Father, we've got to be better parents. We've got to be better husbands. We've got to be better wives. We've got to be better friends. We've got to be better co-workers. Father, in everything that we do, people have to see the reconciled message of Jesus, that the Holy Spirit's power makes everything new. I pray, God, in the name of Jesus, that you teach us how to wait. Father, it may be a year down the road. It may be five years down the road before we're supposed to plant another church. God, before we're supposed to make another hire, before we're supposed to make another change. And I pray, God, that you give us the clarity and the patience, Father, to wait on your best and to work through every level of difficulty and stress and pressure and persecution and temptation and everything that we are supposed to go through. Father, I pray for healing this morning for depression. I pray for healing for anxiety. I pray for healing for addiction. I pray for healing for codependency, Father, and the loneliness that is so real in our society today. I pray, God, for those who are doubting, those who are so, so angry with you right now, God. There are people in this room, no doubt, that because of someone they've lost, because of their current circumstances, because of the way that things look, Father, that they are so angry. And I pray that through the blood of Jesus, the kindness of the Spirit, the agape love that you give out to us, Father, I pray in the name of Jesus that you release change today. I pray, God, that every single person that's in here, Father, will let go and let you work in the way that only you can. Father, the freedom to walk out of this place right now, a new person. God, that is my prayer. Lead us, guide us, direct us. In the name of Jesus, we pray these things. Amen. We want to thank you again for listening to the Believer's Church podcast. Make sure you join us next week as we continue in this series. Also, we'd love a chance to connect with you. Make sure you visit BelieversChurchJC.com and enjoy the rest of your week.